0: Of the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you brought your Bible, I want to ask you to go with me to Psalm 144. Psalm 144, verse 1 and 2 this morning. Psalm 144, verse 1 and 2 this morning. Scripture reads, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for fight, for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for the sure presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. We thank you that we have the opportunity to come and to worship you, to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. And now I would ask that you would come and speak to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts, Lord God, from your inspired word and let us be changed by it. I pray that the challenge that goes forward from this pulpit this morning would be well received in the hearts of your people. I pray that if there be any within the sound of my voice who does not know Christ as a Savior, that this morning they would come to know him. I pray that this word would fall on fertile hearts as a seed, that it might bear fruit. Anoint my lips of clay to preach your word. I ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I want to challenge you with a word from the Lord, specifically for us and for a season which is upon us. On Wednesday night, God spoke to us, didn't He? He said that we were in a shift, that things were changing. and He told us a couple of things as a church. Number one, he spoke to us very clearly, saying that this was going to be a season of transition, a season of shifting, in which he was going to do a great work, an extraordinary work. And he said that he would do in the second half of this year twice as much as he did in the first. How many of you received that word? I don't don't think you heard me because I said he said he wanted to do twice as much in the end of this year as he did in the beginning. And then last night I had the privilege of preaching in College Station, Texas. I was as part of a uh, 10 year anniversary for a church and God gave me a word for the church but then God gave me a word for our church. And as a man of God who's a prophet, he came over and he began to pray for me. He said, he didn't know anything about us, but he said, I have, he said, the Lord said, I visited you once, but the second time I will cohabit with you in a greater way. He said, I visited you once, but the second time I will cohabit with you in a greater way. So I need Kingsway Church to be awake and alert and ready for a shift. God is up to something. In The last few days I have been praying about a time of consecration. And this morning I feel the Lord say, I want you to call the church to this. A 21 day period of consecration. We're going to call it a 21 day shift. And in the next 21 days, we're going to seek God's face as a church. We're going to take this time for fasting and prayer. We're going to take this time for consecration. And I realize that I never really share like this on a Sunday morning. This is usually the message that God gives to the Sunday evening crowd. But today, you're going to get the full, the full scoop. Because it's time to grow. It's time to mature. It's time to become the men and women that God wants you to be in order to face this time that we're living in. And so, first of all, I just want to mention before we even get to the text that 21 days in the Bible always comes as a time of consecration prior to a transitional period. Prior prior to a new level, Daniel was in 21 days of fasting and praying when God brought a revelation to Daniel that would would shift the entire nation of Israel. I believe that from this church and from this house that we can shift the city of Beville and we can even shift the nation if we will seek the Lord while He may be found and call upon Him while He is near. Is there any faith in the house this morning? I'm going to need you to engage your faith this morning with me. To receive with your heart and in your spirit what God is speaking to us as his church. We are living in dangerous days. In times in which there is no, uh, there has been no clearer line drawn for the church than the days in which we are living. But I'm telling you this: I feel that God is saying us to us, "I am going to prepare your hands for war, and I am going to prepare your fingers to fight because you are going to be victorious in this day, and you're going to be victorious in this hour." We spoke last week about the Rock. The Old Testament, the rock was a symbol of the law, a symbol of judgment. We discussed how Christ, the living rock, Christ, the rock of ages, suffered the wrath of God in our place. We talked about the rock in the wilderness that provided water for the thirsty nation of Israel. And we discussed how Christ is that rock which still today provides water for the soul of man. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he spoke of Israel, they drank of the same spiritual drink and they ate of the spiritual foo- same spiritual food and the rock followed them because the rock was Christ. We talked about how the rock of ages, that foundation of the church is that place of refuge for our soul. And today we read again the words of the psalmist David, and he says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that God is my God? Can you say that He is my rock? You see, sometimes uh, we, we settle for somebody else's God. God is the pastor's God. God is the, Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the God of the Bible. But I believe it's time for the church to have the kind of faith that says, He is my God. He is my rock. He is my Redeemer. He is my Savior. He is my hope. He is my joy. He is my peace. He is my personal God. David implies that he knows Him, that he has a relationship with God. He says in chapter 2, in verse 2, He is my loving kindness, my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield. Friend, if you don't know Christ today, I want to tell you a little bit about Him. Because I want you to be able to leave the church today knowing that He is your Savior. That He is your friend. He's not just somebody that they talk about at church, but that He can have a relationship with you every day of the week and every hour of the day. We as men and women are born into sin. And our sin has separated us from God. The Bible says that the... the, ear of the Lord is not deaf, so it cannot hear us, nor is His hand short, that it cannot reach us. But our sin has separated us from God. It's not God that is angry at you. It's not that God is separated at you because He doesn't care for you. God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with an eternal love. The kind of love that men will never know. And the love of God is extended toward each one of you this morning. The Bible said that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. The Bible said that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So the question is not, does God love me? The question isn't that we're separated from God because of the lack of His love. We're separated from God because of our sin. Our sin has separated us from God. That, that wickedness, that brokenness in our own hearts that leads us toward a separation from God, that leads us toward sinful acts. We're born with it. From a, very, uh, from a very child, you begin to see the traces of a sin nature. You realize you don't have to teach a kid to say, mine. You don't have to teach him to fight. It comes in our nature. And I know you know it because oh, we all struggle with that nature of sin. There is something in the heart of man that says, I want to be free. I want to be free. I don't want to be bound by sin. I don't want to be bound by drugs. I don't want to be bound by an addiction. I don't want to be bound by pornography. But maybe you say, I can't find freedom, preacher. I've tried everything. I've done everything. Can I tell you that you have to come to Christ? Jesus, the lover of your soul, He dealt with the one thing that was keeping you out of the presence of God. 2,000 years ago, He died on the cross. You say, preacher, what does that have to do with me in 2015 that Jesus died on the cross? Let me tell you, it has everything to do with you because His death was once and for all. His death was the covering of sin. He was a sinless man. He lived in absolute perfection. He knew no sin and yet he became sin on our behalf. He became our curse. He became our judgment. He took the wrath of God that was due to us and he suffered it upon the cross out of love for you and for me. And so today you can come to Christ And if you will ask Him to forgive you of your sin, then He will forgive you of your sin and He will wash away your sin and never remember it again. Make you whole. And give you the joy and the peace that this world cannot give you. And you can leave here today being able to say, He is my Savior. He is my God. David said, Blessed be the Lord, my rock. But then he uses a strange expression. He says, He teaches my hands for war and my fingers for fight, for the battle. Do you realize that you and I are in a spiritual conflict? We are at war. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, uh, of, uh, against world forces of wickedness in this world. We are engaged in a struggle, in a fight for the very soul of man. The enemy of man and the enemy of God is the devil. And he is hard at work to destroy every soul that he can. And when it comes to the devil, when it comes to the enemy and his plan for your life, His plan is total destruction and total annihilation. Do you see, friend, the devil plays for keeps. Sometimes we dabble with sin. We play around with sin, not realizing that sin does not play games. The devil doesn't play games either. It's playing for for keeps. It's playing for the destruction of your soul. Jesus said the thief came. Except for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's His agenda. That's His desire. The absolute destruction of your soul. Only Christ can save your soul. But you and I must be aware of the fact that we're in this battle. And yet we must also be aware of the fact that the battle has already been won. That Christ went to the cross and He won this fight. He won this battle. So I want to give you, as we go into this 21-day shift, I want to give you five weapons that you're going to use as God trains your hands for war. Are you ready? All right, if you brought a pen or a, uh, hopefully a, pe- a pencil or piece of paper, I want you to write these five things down. And I'm going to teach more than I preach this morning usually. And I'm going to deliver this to you. And then I'm going to close up with a challenge. This is the five-part strategy God has given us for this 21-day shift. Are you ready? Are you ready for a shift? Are you ready for some things to change? Let me ask you this. Has God been good to you in the first half of this year? I know that was a good practice run. I snuck that up on you, but I'm going to give you another chance. Has God been good to you in the first part of 2015? So if he does double what he's done now, will that be all right with you? Now in order for this to come about, he wants to position the church, get it ready. To be in the right spot, the right place. To do what he wants us to do. He's teaching our hands to do five things. I've taught them before in Bible study, so this will be a refresher for some of you. Number one, the first thing we do with our hands is we pray. Some of you, when you pray, you put your hands together like this. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. It's not necessary. It's not a prerequisite. If you don't do that, it doesn't mean God's not listening. But there are some things in the Bible that we do with our hands when we pray. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, when you pray, pray always lifting holy hands. And he gives us this this strategy that God has given the church that you and I, when we raise our hands, the, the raising of the hands is a universal act of surrender. When I was a little boy, we used to play cops and robbers. And we would say, "Stop I' shoot." And we would say, raise your hands above your head. That meant you were caught, you were busted, you were surrendering. The only way to come to God, church, to get a favorable response is to come to him in absolute and total surrender. He says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. We raise our hands, we say to God, I need you. My hands are empty. I have no wisdom of my own. I have no strength of my own. I have no grace of my own. All that I need is in you. We lift up our hands. Paul says they are holy hands. How are they holy, Pastor? I've done some bad things in my life. I'll tell you, friend, the Scripture says, Who will ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. How do you get clean hands and a pure heart? You come to Jesus. You let him wash you in his blood and he makes your hands clean and your heart pure. Clean hands speaks of our horizontal relationships. The way that we deal with the world reflects the cleanliness of our hands. And a pure heart reflects our our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. But only Jesus can give you clean hands and a pure heart. Religion can't do it. Tradition can't do it. Philosophy can't do it. Education can't do it. Money can't do it. But the blood of Jesus can. The blood of Jesus can give you clean hands and a pure heart. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus can cleanse your conscience from dead works so that you can serve the living God. So when you pray, you raise your hands and you say, God, I need you. We pray with our hands open, implying that we expect to receive something from God. We don't pray with a fist. We pray with an open hand saying, God, fill my hands. Fill my life. Something else we see in the Bible is that when when a priest would pray, he would take hold with his hands of the horns of the altar. And in an intense prayer, he would seek God on behalf of the nation of Israel. Today, you and I can take with our hands the promises of God and lay hold of them and cling to them and and pray as though our very life depended on it because it does. Finally, we see that the praying uh, uh, included the laying on of hands, such as when a father would lay hands upon his son or his daughter and bless them. Or when, as we read this morning, if you are sick in body, the scripture says, let him call for the elders of the church and and they will pray the prayer of faith. And by laying hands on you, we're saying, we believe that we have something for you that comes from God. Can I ask you to do something? Next time you're in the checkout line at HEB and somebody says, well, I've been kind of sick the last few days, just tell them, "Can can we pray right now? Hey, you, just, you just lay your holy hand on their shoulder And you call on Jesus you're, you're looking at me like Pastor I don't know if I could do that That's God's point of contact He wants to touch somebody Through you I said he wants to touch Somebody through you the problem in the church today, we, don't, we have put aside this weapon. And by laying it aside, we have devoid the church of the power that's in this weapon. But when you and I start to pray in that spirit of faith, and we begin to lay hands on people in the name of Jesus, according to the word of God, we are, we are engaging in an act of spiritual warfare. Before you send your children out, to, out, to, out the door for school, you lay hands on them. My mother did that for us every day that I can remember. She laid hands on us before we went to school. She was acting in spiritual warfare. She was letting the devil know, look, you can mess with somebody else's kids, but these kids are mine, and if you touch them, you're going to answer to me and Jesus. Take the weapon of prayer. A praying church is the only answer for America. A church that knows how to seek the face of God. A church that knows how to touch God with their prayer. A church that is intense about this task of speaking with God and hearing the voice of God. He trains our hands to war. We read all throughout the Gospels that at many occasions Jesus would take a a moment to withdraw, to retreat from the crowd and He would go alone to a secluded place to pray. He was training His hands for war. He was training His fingers for the battle. The second thing we do with our hands, I think I am right about this one, but I'm not sure, I don't know all of you, but I think we all eat with our hands, right? No, I guess I'm wrong. We all eat with our hands. Especially if you're Hispanic and you have a tortilla, you're going to eat with your hands. You say, Pastor, where are you getting at? I'm getting at fasting. This is the second war strategy. A praying church and a fasting church. You say, what is Fasting. Fasting is when you go without food in order to consecrate yourself to God. When you say, I'm not going to eat for a determined period of time. And you say, I'm going to seek the Lord during this time. Now you have begun spiritual warfare. That is an offensive measure. You're invading the kingdom of darkness when you begin to do that. And you lay aside food. Why food, pastor? Of all things, not my food. Yes, our food. When you and I fast, we're doing two things. Number one, again, we are humbling ourselves before God. We're saying, God, I need you. But the second thing we do when we fast is we are saying to our flesh, you are not in control here. The Spirit is in control here. Fasting can't save you. Fasting can't make you more righteous. And fasting cannot make you more loved by God. But when you fast, you're telling your flesh you're not in control here. When you, when you lay aside with your hands that food, and you instead, you take that, that time to pray and to seek God's face, you begin to, to engage your hands in an act of war. Now, here's the thing about fasting. The moment you start fasting, your flesh starts to say, I'm going to die. If I don't eat, I'm going to die. Now, we've all done this. We've all gone through a whole day. It's about 4 o'clock before you realize, I haven't even had lunch. You've done that? You're just busy, you're working, you're doing something. You realize I left the house, didn't have breakfast, didn't even have lunch. And your flesh didn't say anything about it. But guess what? The day you decide to wake up and not eat on purpose so you can pray, your flesh goes into panic mode. (laughs) This is it. I'm coming home. This is it, Lord. I am going to die today. Because your flesh doesn't want to be reminded that there is a greater being inside of you than it. This body is not all there is to me. There is an inner man that is filled with the spirit of God and he is able to put this flesh under control. So the second weapon is the weapon of fasting. And I want to challenge you in the next 21 days to fast. You say, Pastor, how long do I have to fast? What does God require? I'll tell you what the Lord's fast is. The Lord's fast is the amount of time that God tells you. And I'll just tell you that when you start asking God, God, how long do you want me to fast? He'll tell you. He might say to some of you, I want you to fast from midnight to dinner every day for the next 21 days. He's still my soul, Pastor. I don't know. I don't know about that. He might say to somebody, I want you to fast every other day. I don't know what he's going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. He's going to tell you. And when you do what he asks you to do, you'll be in obedience. If he says fast three days at a time and you fast four, that's your problem now. You do what He asks you to do. Can we hear God's voice in here? So if you can hear God's voice, then you can ask Him, Lord, what do I fast? And He'll tell you. And for 21 days, I want you to make up your mind. Instead of lunch, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the Word. And I'm going to be specific about the things that I need God to do in this 21-day shift. He's already brought some of you so far. It's amazing. I was telling young people uh, the other day at the school, sometimes we look at people and they say, people say, Pastor, that guy is weird. I say, if you knew where they had been, what they had been through, you would be surprised how sane they are. Some of you have been through some stuff. But if you will take God seriously in this season, he says, that stuff will be so far behind you, you won't remember what it was like. I said, it will be so far behind you, you won't remember what it was like. Come on, I need a faith-filled church this morning. I'm talking about leaving some stuff in the dust. I'm talking about leaving the past in the past. Are you ready for a shift? So you ask God, how long do you want me to fast? You do that. I want to just tell you, I doubt he'll say fast from when you go to bed to when you wake up. All right, probably not going to say that. But he'll tell you. He'll tell you what he wants. Daniel fasted. Listen now. Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah. And when he saw that. Jeremiah had said there would be seventy years of captivity. He started doing the math and he realized that was the year, the seventieth year. He started to pray for revelation, and he prayed one day, two days, three days, four days. Finally, twenty-one days, and finally an angel came to him. And I imagine the angel came to him like, <sighs> he "Said, oh, good thing you didn't stop praying, Daniel, because when I, well, the very first day you asked." I had an answer for you from God. But the prince of Persia, the demon power that surrounded that region was preventing me from arriving. So I want you to get serious about this because there are some fortresses, some strongholds that are preventing our blessings from arriving. But we are about to bust the door down in the power of the Spirit. Strongholds are coming down. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. I said strongholds are coming down. Strongholds are coming down. Fortresses are coming down. We lay claim to those promises and those blessings in the name of Jesus. And we serve notice on the devil that his kingdom is coming to an end in our lives and in our family and in our city. Can I get some faith in the house of God? Number three, third thing we do with our hands is we read the Bible. You say, Pastor, I do that with my eyes. In order to study the Bible, you have to handle the Word of God. We have a church today that doesn't know how to handle God's Word. Now I'm not just talking about this church, I'm talking about the church in America in general. We don't know how to handle the word of God. We've never had more Bibles in the world and yet been more biblically illiterate than we are now. We don't know how to handle the word of truth. The Bible says study to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling or dividing the word of God. If we're going to work, if we're going to war with our hands, we need the Word of God. The Bible said that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. You cannot use a sword in battle without your hands. This sword has to be picked up, taken up with our hands. It is the instrument of our warfare. The Bible says we have a shield of faith. That's a defensive armor. But we have a weapon, a, a sword, which is an offensive weapon. When you take the sword of the spirit, you're taking an offensive position. You're invading enemy territory. Now here's the thing. Most of you have this year just been surviving. You know what I'm talking about? Surviving means I just want to get to the last day of the year and have what I had when I started. But God is calling us into not just surviving, but to taking new ground. And if you will believe God with me, I believe when we get to the end of this year, you will look back and you will see I have more than I started out with. And I pray you will say, I have a lot more than I started out with. Some of you started out the year lost, but you're saved now. And that is all right with me. But God said, I'm going to do double. I'm going to give you double for your trouble. I'm going to increase my work in your life. So it's not about just surviving anymore. It is about the bold advance. And how does this advance come? It comes when you and I handle the Word of God. The enemy has come in a sinister fashion to the church. He said, just put the scripture on the screen. You know most churches in America don't carry their Bible anymore. We do. Because your heart will never know what your hands don't handle. You've got to get in the word. And when you get in the word, the word will get into you. And when the word gets into you, the word will change you. And when you are changed, you will be what you could not be apart from it. I'm talking about a very simple remedy for a very difficult problem in in many people's lives. They just don't have the word of God. The scripture said the people perish for the lack of revelation, for the, the lack of knowledge, the knowledge of God's word. And when you take up the sword of the spirit... You can go offensively against the kingdom of darkness. Jesus was fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. You and I are going to fast in air-conditioned houses. He fasted 40 days in the wilderness. Guess who showed up? The devil showed up and he said to Jesus, If you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Imagine the devil bouncing a rock on his hand like this. you're the Son of God turn us into bread. Jesus could have turned the devil into a loaf of bread. (laughs) But Jesus took out the sword of the Spirit. Three temptations, three times Jesus said, It is written. Let me tell you what. Next time a devil shows up at your doorstep, you tell him, Look, devil, it is written, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So pack your bags and get on out of here. You can't stay. This house belongs to God. Come on, am I talking to the church this morning? It is written. When he tries to plague your body with sickness you say it is written by his stripes I am healed. When he tries to remember, you, remind you of your past you tell him devil it is written that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That his blood has cleansed me and washed me and made me whole. It is written. Thy word is truth. The truth Jesus said, would set you free. You have to know the truth. I grew up in the Pentecostal church. Pentecostal church taught me to feel God. Goosebumps. But you know what? Sometimes you don't feel God. And when you don't feel Him, you have to know Him. Sometimes there are no goosebumps, there are no chills. There is no cool feeling and sometimes you feel downright rotten and in those moments you need to know something that you can't feel. You need to know that God said I will never leave you nor forsake you. You need to know what God has said and know it deep down in the very core of your soul. That truth that you know will set you free. There's a lot of truth in here but it can't set you free till you know it. I want you to read your Bible in the next 21 days. Ask God, Lord, what do you want me to read? And then spend time in the Word. And get a notepad out and take notes. You want me to take notes on the Bible? Yeah, because when you when you pray and you read the Bible, God will speak to you. You can do this, do like I do. You get your Bible, you get a Dr. Pepper. You get a notepad and you say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to read your word today. I pray that you would speak to me through this word. And sometimes I'll just read the first word. And then, and it just comes. Something comes. (laughs) I did five pages once on the conjunction, but God just revealed himself. This word is not Shakespeare. This word is not dead. It is alive. It is the living and active word of God. And it is able to change the soul. There was a street evangelist. He went to a drug addict. He said, look, I want to give you this New Testament. The drug addict said, don't give me that, man. He said, why? He said, because I will smoke it. He said, what do you mean? He said, I will use the paper to smoke it. The preacher said, all right, I'll make you a deal. He said, I'll let you smoke it on this condition. You smoke it after you've read the page. Now, I'm not recommending this, but that's what he did. (laughs) Years later, he ran into the guy. He said, hey, you remember me? He said, no. He said, I'm the guy you told to smoke the New Testament. He said, He said, yeah, what happened? He said, well, I smoked Matthew. And I smoked Mark. And I smoked Luke. He said, but John smoked me. He said, now I'm a preacher of the gospel. Can I tell you the word is alive? It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. The word will work if you work it. teaches my hands to war. Number four, the fourth weapon of our warfare in, our, in this season is the weapon of giving. When we give, we use our hands. And you say, Pastor, how is giving spiritual warfare? I'll prove it to you. The book of Malachi chapter 3, the scripture says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. And the Lord said, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Sounds like spiritual warfare to me. He said, I will rebuke the devil, the devourer. When you and I give, when we bring our tithe and our offering, we are engaging in a spiritual act of warfare. We are literally going against the very evil in our nature. Because you see, we, we, like I mentioned a few moments ago, when we're babies, we learn how to say, mine. Doesn't just fill your heart with love when you hear a little baby say, mine. Just want to, Correct that right away, right? Just get it out of their nature. Some people never outgrow it. They grow to be adults and it's still mine. But God says the life I bless says yours. What I have is yours. What I will have is yours. It's all yours, God. And that life that learns to give is fighting against the greed and avarice of your own heart. You want to break greed and avarice in your heart? You give. God is a giver. For God so loved that He gave. The expression of God's love is a gift. You and I, when we give, we open up our hands. And here's what happens. When you open up your hand, if you try to hold a million dollars, or let's, let's make it more practical... Uh, you try to hold a thousand dollars in your hand and your hand is open what could happen it could fall out so that's why most of us would just tight fist but you see when you have a tight fist nothing can get out but nothing can get in either but when your hand is open something can get out but something can also get in And I want to just tell you, God will give you more than you thought you could have if you'll give to him. So I want you to add this to your prayer list, and I want you to say, God, what do you want me to give? That too, Pastor. It's a shift. A 21-day shift. And whatever God tells you to give, you give it. And God is going to see you through. Because he's faithful that way. His promises and his provisions are are sure and true. And you might say, Pastor, I don't know. I don't have anything to give. You give what God tells you to give. And no more or less. You'll be doing warfare against the devil. Finally, as the musicians come. We have the fifth weapon. It's the weapon of praise. When you and I lift our hands in worship to God, we confuse the kingdom of darkness. The scripture said that the Lord sent out Jehoshaphat against an invading army. And on the front lines of his invasion were the Levites, the musician, the praise team went out first. Now that doesn't make any sense in terms of strategy of war. But God was training Jehoshaphat's hands for war. He was letting him know that in order to win in this spiritual conflict, your hands must be the hands of praise. That you must be a people willing to praise God through every season. And you realize that when they did that, the Lord brought confusion into the camp of the enemy. When you and I praise God, it confuses the devil. Scripture says that Paul and Silas were bleeding... Beat down in the prison. They had been beaten for the cause of Christ, beaten for their testimony of Jesus. There they are, in their, their hands and feet in Stokes and stocks, and they look at one another, and I imagine Paul said to Silas, "What's that song we learned the other day in church?" And Silas was the trainee. He probably said, uh, um, I don't really remember it right now. I just got beat within an inch of my life and I I don't really feel like singing. The Bible said that at midnight, they began to sing, they began to praise God. Are you in a midnight? Are you going through a hard time? Are you going through a difficulty? Are you going through a winter season? Can I tell you the answer is praise? The answer is a spirit of worship before God. Raise hands and says, God, I thank you. How confusing is it to the devil when he, when he brings a report into your, into your life that you have cancer and you raise your hands and you say, I will bless the Lord at all times. And His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He is my healer. How confusing do you think it is when the lawyer says to you the case is lost and you rejoice in God and say, God, I know that you're in control of this situation. It brings confusion to the very heart of darkness when you and I praise God because it doesn't make sense to the devil for people to praise God in the middle of hardship. God says, I'm training your hands for war. I'm training your fingers to fight. I'm going to give you a victory. I'm going to give you a shift. But I want you to praise me through it. I want you to praise me as though what you're praying for is already in your hands. I want you to praise me for the victory in advance. If you will join with me in these next 21 days, God says, I'll train your hands for war. I'll train your fingers to fight. I never get tired of seeing someone come into church for the first time, and there we are raising our hands, and they're kind of looking around like, well, these people have questions or what? What's going on here? And they they come back the next week, and they're not exactly sure what's going on. Why is everybody raising their hands? And then all of a sudden, one day in worship... they worship they praise God hell hates to see that but heaven is longing to see it from you I want to ask you to stand with me and I want to invite you to come into this altar and we're going to lift our hands before God and enter into this shift together whether you're a guest or a member of the church doesn't matter please come tell him Lord teach my hands to war, teach my fingers to fight and if you don't know him as your savior this morning he says I want to be your savior I want to be your friend I want to be Transformer of your life. Now, if you would just lift your hands and begin to pray out loud. You don't have to yell, just just where you are, just pray out loud. Open your mouth and begin to talk to God. Today, we're going to begin this spiritual season of transformation. just lift your voice church lift your hands and surrender and worship to God Father we pray that you would train our hands for war and our fingers to fight fill our mouths with effective prayer we need your strength we need you to war on our behalf because we believe that the battle belongs to you So in our weakness, we lift our hands and surrender and say, come, manifest your glory and fulfill your good word to us. Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus that a season of shifting would begin from brokenness to healing, from sickness to health, from poverty to prosperity in the name of Jesus. Enter in.